Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 11, Teaching Artistry Live, Urgency and Love, Act 1, live at the International Teaching Artist Conference, recorded September 14th, 2018, at the Mark Morris Dance Center in Brooklyn, New York. One size fits all prudent kids all screaming about irrevocability. Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches, and fight our own way free. Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply to people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out. And the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember the walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hello, Teaching Artistry listeners. It's October. The season has changed. It's gotten a little cooler. It's sweater weather. <laughs> and I am recalling back to September 9th through 15th, 2018. This was National Arts and Education Week. Oh, I love this week. In fact, I love that this week is where folks from around the country are highlighting and celebrating arts and education, arts education in their communities. Um, You're going to hear a lot about that. But from my point of view, and uh, that's, you know, that's what you get to do is listen to my point of view on a lot of things. Uh, But during this week in New York City, several events took place. There was the fourth annual Teaching Artist Conference, and the theme was Artist as Instigator. And in that, there were a few social events, and uh, during the conference itself, there were three keynotes uh, speeches. Uh, and the, the whole conference brought together delegates from around the world who work as teaching artists themselves and or support teaching artists. And there's lots of different, you know, names and titles that fall underneath that. But to recap the conference, there were several pre-conference sessions, uh, including one that I led with my colleague, Lindsay buller Maliakel and James Miles from ArtScore called the teaching artist or teaching artists as organizational influencer. Uh, That was sort of the kickoff for us. Um, It was held on our own space and we had about 20 to 25 people, again, from around the world, um, which was very exciting way to start. And that conversation led us through the rest of the conference, which was full of very inspiring keynote speeches. um, Three, in fact, one from Aaron Huey, one from Mark Balmuthi Joseph, and uh, it closed out with Liz Lerman. In addition to that, there were uh, many, many breakout sessions where you got to choose different different um, 
workshops and uh, conversations to join throughout each day. And um, they were so, so, so facilitated, <laughs> facilitated <laughs> by my national and international colleagues. I really enjoyed networking and learning about how folks from different countries view and do this work. I interacted with folks from Singapore and Tasmania and Korea, the UK, uh, Venezuela, and, and much, much more. And it was kind of a love fest. I mean, there was a sing circle as the opening <laughs> and it was pretty amazing. And then we actually ended up closing in that same fashion, um, which immediately sort of brought us into this, we are here to, to connect. We are here to uh, continue to build our community on this uh, global scale. And what better place to do that but New York City, which is the most, um, you know, the epicenter uh, of arts as well as culture. And, um, I had a, a, a lot of sizzly sizzling conversations uh, big questions were being asked. So speaking of sizzling conversations, I was able to, sh- uh, Oh, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to tell you something. Um, during the conference, they announced that there will be a new timeline project called Global The Global History Timeline Project. So I'm going to read a little bit of what is on the ITAC, which is the International Teaching Artist Conference, a little short acronym, ITAC uh, 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 webpage. So ITAC is excited to launch the Global History Timeline Project, which will begin to write the history of our international field by creating a timeline of significant events from around the world. Our field is known by many names, teaching artist, community artist, social practice artist, uh, artist in residence, citizen artists, and more. But together, we have one history. This timeline has been officially launched to help to document the proud and complex history of our global field. And so what they're asking you, you, uh, those of you who work in this field, is to contribute to this timeline. So they ask uh, to contribute by entering the key pieces of history from your own home area, wherever that may be. Historical events can include the start of a new program, uh, a new kind of funding, the publication of a book or a res- or new resource, a big event that changed things, a research report, or whatever has been important for the growth of your field at home. And you can um, contribute by clicking on, and I'm going to say it, but I will also put it on um, the social media. Uh, it's http colon backslash backslash www dot I-T-A-C, I-T-A-C, dash conference.com, the global history timeline project. So if you just do a little Googling or if you go on to the ITAC conference, you should be able to find it from there. But again, we will put it on the social media so that everybody can click uh, in a more easy fashion. So I talked about sizzling conversations. In this episode, I was able to have uh, a really great one with 
my friends and colleagues. And so I announced this back in August, but we finally had an opportunity to record a panel discussion that was taped live as part of the conference. The live taping was put together in partnership with New York City Arts and Education Roundtable, uh, their Teaching uh, Artist Affairs Committee. And it took place on Friday, September 14th, 2018 at Mark Morris Dance Group. The panel was made up of Teaching Artistry podcast guests and, of course, as I said, my friends and colleagues. Uh, We discussed topics that were inspired by the theme, artists as agitator of the conference, um, but also other big questions and conversations that were coming up during the ITAC conference. You know, this discussion reminds me of the good work that arts and arts education communities are doing, but that we also have a lot more to do. And I was absolutely thrilled for this podcast to be a part of a global artist community itinerary and for it to take place also during National Arts and Education Week was just like more than a host could ask for. So there is a lot of ground to cover in this entire episode series. So there's an overarching episode title, but each act has its own subtitle. And so... I am so, so, so excited for you to listen to episode 11, Teaching Artistry Live, Urgency and Love, Act One, live at the International Teaching Artist Conference. Enjoy. I want to thank all of you for trekking to Brooklyn. It's not a trek, really, (laughs) but but it is, um, it's where I live. It's where you used to live. You do live, you've visited, (laughs) and you've visited, you used to live here, that's right, you used to live here, okay. So I'm going to introduce all these people, or they're going to introduce themselves momentarily, but I just wanted to let you know a little bit about me. Um, So I am Director of Education at the New Victory Theater, which is located on 42nd Street. Um, I can tell you a whole lot of things about the the programs that I oversee, but you should listen to the podcast. but what I will tell you, in terms of teaching artists, uh, I oversee 55 to 60 uh, teaching artists at the New Victory. I also um, teach artists at the university level about arts education and community work in the arts. And um, I started to, I conceptualized this about, I don't know, three or four years ago? Two years ago, I don't know. And then we launched this last year, um, and these were some of my friends who, when I told them, hey, I'm doing this thing, Uh, you wanna sit on my couch and talk to me? (laughs) And they said yes, and then then it went from there. So uh, before we get into who's on stage, I just wanna um, make sure that I uh, acknowledge um, my collaborators and the production team. So Ben Weber, is our producer over there in the dark. And Christopher Totten is the creative uh, content manager who is on social media and doing all the things, and the two of them help scheme with me. And then our newest uh, team member is Brandon Hutchinson, who is our media arts coordinator. (laughs) So after this, actually, um, Brandon might be um, coming up to you and seeing if you want to be a part of the podcast in any particular way. Um, by answering a question or two. Um, and, and you know Jono. So that is our team. And now let's talk about who's, let's meet all these people. Um, so can you actually um, 
introduce yourselves by your name, your title, um, where you work, and any other affiliates that you'd like to share. And then as Haley actually said, it is National Arts Educa in Education Week, and so I'm curious how you've been able to highlight or celebrate arts education this week. Greetings. <laughs> this is really loud. Uh, I'm James Miles. I use he, him pronouns. I'm the executive director of Arts Corps. Uh, I want to acknowledge a couple things. One, uh, respect the land we're on. We're on the unceded territory of the Canarsie tribe. So put some respect on that. <laughs> Two, uh, shout out to Jono, who just had a kid two weeks ago. He's gone. He went home to take care of his kid. Okay. Uh, shout out to Meredith, one of the arts course teaching artists in Seattle, Washington, who just got married. And Brandon, I remember when I, we worked at New Vic as an usher. This is all, it's just so good to see so much family. So I'm really happy to be here. Arts, all right, celebrate Arts Education Week. Um, everything we do is arts education. Disrupting the patriarchy, dismantling white supremacy, that's how we celebrate arts education. Thanks. I got to follow that. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to sound like one of the Peanuts teachers. Wah, 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 wah. Uh, my name is Penelope McCourty. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time since I, it's been a long time since we've seen each other. Uh, I am a teaching artist at large, is usually the title I go by now. Um, I've held other titles. I've held administrative titles. I've held titles within performance companies. But right now, I think it's teaching artists at large. Uh, I'm a teaching artist at the New Victory Theater uh, at the Park Avenue Armory. And I'm a faculty teacher at the Berkeley Carroll School, which is a private school here in Park Slope. The question was, how do we, what? I'm, I agree with James, it's all the time, every time. Whether I'm on the train, whether I'm walking to Mark Morris Dance Group, you know, it's all the time. Because when you work as a, a, an artist and a teaching artist, it, it's not like your life is compartmentalized, right? So whatever that training is, is always in you. So I was thinking about this today, like how I walk down the street. I look at negative space, I'm looking at how people are moving, how do I move through you because you're a mess over here crying and you're doing this. So we're always living artistically. And also for me, that's a model for the people that I end up teaching. The reason why we're doing this is to practice creative living. How do I stay present wherever I am at any given time? Um, whether it's fueled by necessity or it's fueled by anger, um, or it's fueled by joy. We're always living in that way. So I think that's my answer. Okay, this is really hot. Hello. Um, my name is Shoba Kavanakudio, and I am faculty in the educational theater program at the City College of New York. Um, I am also one of the co-chairs for the New York City Arts and Education Roundtable. Um, and I am also, I was on sabbatical this past year, and I'm a Fulbright recipient. Um, and I was fortunate enough with the Fulbright to travel abroad to Korea and to Mexico. And that leads me to my uh, answer of how did I celebrate Arts Education Week. 
One thing that was really impressed upon me as I reflected this year was how lucky we are to be part of a community of art artists and educators. Um, and it's uh, a privilege, I think, and it was just nice to kick off this week with my colleagues and new colleagues from ITAC at the roundtable event on Wednesday and here, but also it was, it's the beginning of the semester and it was wonderful to see some of my students and hear about the fantastic work that they're doing. Actually, I think there are a few of them here. Yeah, they're very quiet. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's how I celebrated Arts Education Week. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Edie Demas, and I'm the executive director at the Jacob Burns Film Center, which is an art house, movie theater, and uh, media arts lab post-production space in Pleasantville. Yes, that's a real place. Pleasantville, <laughs> New York. Uh, we're a, a, a nonprofit and um, very involved in education and, and community engagement, as, as well as showing movies. and. Um, I guess, you know, I'm celebrating by being here, frankly, because um, I've been looking forward to it ever since uh, Courtney first mentioned it, and because now that I've moved um, further from hands-on practice and more into arts management and administration and leadership, um, I feel like I, I don't get to practice as much every day. Um, although I feel re-energized now after hearing about that and thinking about um, the ways that actually my um, years as a teaching artist and an, uh, more ha directly involved in arts education actually really do inform uh, my approach to leadership and creative collaboration. So I'm happy to touch back in with that and uh, sort of feel like I've come home with all these folks and all these new folks to meet. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's get into some questions. So those of us, the majority of us are from, uh, are delegates, yes, right? I saw lots and lots of hands going up uh, at the International Teaching Artists Conference. And um, the, the theme is artists as instigator, which um, we're looking at roles and responsibilities and um, making it big impact. So I'm gonna ask uh, Edie and James, each of you, um, <laughs> do you have or could you share an example of uh, that you've seen or have done um, as in the, under this sort of, that falls under this theme of artists as instigator? Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, been interesting for me shifting art forms over the last four years. So I went um, actually from the New Victory Theater to my current position with some twins happening in the middle of all of that. And so I'm in a different art form, which I had had uh, more teaching artists, frankly, experience in film in uh, versus um, arts management or leadership experience. And so um, it's been interesting the last four years noticing what's the same and what's different. And in many ways, we're in a really wonderful moment in the film and media education world um, around the idea of artist as instigator, you know, be, because of Time's Up and Me Too, we're, we're seeing a lot more different storytellers um, have, and, and what, because of technology, we're seeing lots more ways for those stories to be heard, and that's very exciting. And I think, um, you know, lately in my world, one of the artists, I'm jumping around, Courtney, sorry, but, but one <laughs> of good. the artists who's been, I've really felt a 
palpable sense of the role of artist as instigator is around a film called Sorry to Bother You, which yes. if you have not seen, please see. We had a really long run of that film um, this summer, and the filmmaker and artist Boots Riley came to the film center to talk about it. And I just, you know, that was maybe July, and I still feel inspired by his visit and his talk and his work. And I'm right now spending a lot of time thinking about how um, artists like like he, who's a, you know, a musician, he's a community organizer, he comes from a family, a long tradition of co community organizers and activists, and he's very clear about how the stories he wants to tell and the films he wants to make can benefit um, from those experiences, from how as an independent musician he did grassroots marketing and distribution and how that's informing the way he's getting his film out there. And the other great thing about mm. him that doesn't often happen in the film, I think really in any of the art forms that are, you know, um, talk about audience development, one of the things he's been very deliberate about is not siloing his audiences. He wants people who are different from each other to see this film together. And not a lot of people in that world think about the audience experience. Like if they get it on a screen, that's like, <laughs> that's good enough. Um, and so that's been really exciting for me. And I, I'm thinking a lot about how um, we can get people who are different watching films together. And I think the thing I'm thinking about in that then is what's the converse, what happens after that experience? Mm -hmm. And what's my job in, in helping my organization to practice kind of radical listening? Because right now, you know, we like to think that we're in a very informed, progressive, uh, New York um, community, and yet I think we're still very siloed and we don't listen enough to people who are different from us. Mm -hmm. And he's a great example of giving us a reason and a source of inspiration and a, and a, a story to, that interrogates and investigates those ideas. So that's what I'm inspired by at the moment and thinking about. Great, thank you. Thank you. That, was, that was a lot better than what I was thinking. <laughs> Damn it, Edie. Uh, I, I was thinking the moment a teaching artist walks into a classroom, they instigate change by asking a young person, what do you think? Because oftentimes young people's ideas, thoughts, words, bodies don't matter, uh, especially in the education system. And as much as I'm a proponent of public education, I'm also a critic of it, uh, much like the United States. You know, I'm a proud you know, citizen, but I'm also very critical of our government. Um, so I think that's what's, that's what's great about teaching artists. Uh, and specifically, you know, you touch on like Boots and, and the coup. They, they were a great music group in the 90s, and I th thank you for mentioning them. Um, I'm thinking of Chance the Rapper, who's doing great stuff in Chicago, you know, bringing uh, well-known celebrities to low-income high schools, and then providing a platform for young people to perform for free, and maybe even get paid for other audience members. I think that's, that's, that's dynamic. You know what I think is so interesting about that, is that yeah. there's a spectrum there yeah. about, of artists as instigator, from teaching artists in a classroom, to filmmaker or musician who has a different kind of platform, but they're both platforms. They're both, yeah. And they're connected to each other. And when you get somebody like Boots who has been through that experience and is so tied to community and now has a national platform and he can speak to an, uh, an audience that's different from him yeah. and, and the same as him, 
um, there, there's something about that continuum that I wish we did more to connect all those dots. Yeah. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something we can do about that. But um, yeah. it's thrilling to see that spectrum of engagement and that spectrum of instigation. Yeah, 100 um, percent. And I'm really excited by watching some artists on social media and how they change the narrative. You know, I'm thinking about like my, my Morehouse brother, Sean King, who writes and, you know, he uses Instagram as a form of protest. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. Um, my homie Big Frida, who the queen of bounce from New Orleans and the way she's making a stand as a trans woman in New Orleans, the deep south and mastering the, the art of hip-hop music and changing it the way we see and view pop culture. And she's sampled by Drake and by Beyonce, uh, Cardi B. I'm a huge Cardi B fan. Mm -hmm. Like, I love Cardi B, who is honest and transparent and says, I f can I curse? Yeah. I mess up, I didn't. I, I make mistakes. <laughs> I make gotcha. mistakes and I own them. You know, I'm gonna throw a shoe at somebody during New York Fashion Week and like say, she did, yeah. And she's like, yeah, I, I did this thing because this is what happened to me and this is how I feel, this is where I came from. I'm not saying it was wrong, but it was wrong, but I'm not saying it was right either. And like, yes, Cardi B, own that. I, yes. So artists always instigate. At the beginning of every revolution from the beginning of time, Artists were leading that front along with young people. Not us, not us people over a certain age, <laughs> 25. <laughs> it's the young folks, the young artists. So uh, enough respect for the young artists. Hey, thank you. <laughs> so Let's have fun, y'all. Can yeah. I stand up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is so. There you go. I don't know if you can, right, again. you're instigating. Uh, so if you ha you can't tell, uh, like I said, these are my friends. We we all have a commonality, a common thread of the new victory. We all Edie hired me, Shoba, Penelope, all of us. Great. Edie hired all of us. Um, and <laughs> um, you can and, say, can you blame me? <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, I was going to ask a, a, a similar question because James and I actually um, presented as the pro at the pre-conference about uh, uh, teaching artists as organizational influencer. But I'm going to actually skip that question because I feel like we we've touched a little bit on that. So I want to tell you guys because um, James and of this panel, James and I are the ones who are delegates. And so um, I was talking to some of you about um, the keynote that we had yesterday with Aaron Huey, who is um, this amazing uh, photojournalist. And he shared the project that he did where it initially it started in one place and it moved and migrated into a street art project that where he was collaborating with um, Shepard Ferry, who, um, if you don't know who that is, um, he's the one who, if you know the image, the artwork of Obama with hope, He's, that's Shepard Ferry. Um, and he worked also with Ernesto Yereni, Urena, I'm, I'm not pronouncing it right, but anyway, that eventually, um, you might have noticed, you might see or recognize the artwork that happened um, during the uh, March on Washington at the during the inauguration uh, of We the People, mm -hmm. 
right? Um, and that's the same artwork. And he actually launched that on, um, an, or created a nonprofit called Amplifier. Um, so that, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if anybody wa marched on that day or mar multiple days. Um, and, and so that was a, an example of this sort of large scale and different platforms uh, of being able to uh, make, have use art as a way to make change or make a huge bold statement. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, I'm gonna um, actually open this up to uh, the two of you, if that's okay. I know I didn't, I, I didn't ask you to think about this question, but uh, so Shoba can go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just want to say also that la yeah, last night there was a there was a reception, and you know Eric Booth, who I talk about a lot about. We all know who Eric Booth is, right? Uh, he calls himself the you know, the oldest living teaching artist, um, and he said after uh, about. The, the keynote, he said, I feel like a piker. And I didn't know what that meant. But it meant like we all sort of were like, what the hell are we doing when that kind of large scale amazing artwork is happening? So I, I, I want to sort of contextualize of, I'm asking this question, you know, who, who in the arts, um, from we were all inspired, so who in the arts um, or arts education inspires you uh, and why? And, the, and, and they could be doing something on a large scale or a small scale. Yeah. Um, so I'm a very fickle person. I can never make up my mind about anything. Um, and so I, I think that that changes for me all the time. So on the way here, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about Edie and how she brought so many of us together. And we've known each other, I think, for about 15 years or more. Um, and that's pretty amazing. You know, that community that was created, um, that's pretty amazing. And the things that I think we have all done together or you know, a few of us have gotten together over the years may have been small steps um, for us, but may have been big moments for children whose lives we've touched. Um, I don't know what I'm answering right now. I'm just talking. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, that's really important to me, the idea of community and the power of when we come together and we stay together and we're patient and we listen. I love the idea of radical listening. That is such a cool mm -hmm. term to me. Um, that's powerful to me. That can make change. My, one of my favorite things that inspire me, oh, is that who inspires me? Um, is when you're in a classroom and you go in and you have this awesome lesson and you are so ready. And then a, particularly a young child challenges you not because they're challenging, but because they're thinking about what you're presenting in a different way. That's inspiring to me. Um, because I think sometimes as teaching artists, you, you, you just get in your routine and you just keep going and going and going. And those are the moments when I stop and I'm like, whoa, you know, like that's, that's good. That's a good question and let me think about it. Um, and keep telling me, what do you think, you know? Um, so that's inspiring to me. And then one other person I just want to bring up who is part of this family who's not here is Michael Wiggins. <gasps> and as you can see, <laughs> Michael is a dear colleague of ours and a good friend. And I love that dude. Yeah. I love that Arts too. instigator. Yeah, oh. he, he is an instigator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is not one conversation I have with him where I don't leave either being frustrated or being like, wow, why didn't I think of that? Mm -hmm. um, he challenges, and it's just so inspiring to me because his thought process is very different than how I think, um, and you know, I, I just it gets me so excited. He, he, he just he's a he's an instigator. 
He's a troublemaker. He's a troublemaker. Yeah. But he gets <laughs> things an done. He's a, he gets things yeah. done. Yeah. And I don't know that he's always around to see the impact he's had, because sometimes he moves on. But um, I know that there are people listening, and you know, I have my students read his book. Um, so I think he's very impactful and inspiring. Mm -hmm. Michael, if you're listening. And his book, yeah, what's uh, the, the title? The Teaching Art of Sutras. Sutras, right? yeah. yeah. I also use it in my class. Yeah. Teaching, Teaching Art of Sutras. Sutras. You can find it on Amazon. On Kindle and W-I-G-G-I-N-S. I have that book. I have that book in my bedside table. Like a Bible? It is like a teaching artist. Yeah, it's like a teaching artist. Yeah. But I'm never frustrated. I'm like, what would Michael Wiggins do? Yeah. 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 I sometimes, when I get challenged on things, I try to channel him and think, like, how would he handle this? So that's my answer. I got to still talk about Michael Wiggins just a little bit. I just, he, uh, yeah, there are times where I've had, I've been in his presence, he's, I've been frustrated, and then that makes me go back and have another conversation. Or I remember this one time I was at some conference, and um, I love that he says provocative things that make people want to punch him in the face. So one day he said, you know, teaching is woman's work. And I went, oh, Jesus. I had to start singing to the Lord. But what he was trying to say was that because we in this country do not value women's work, teaching work is seen as invaluable. It does not have any value. So I appreciated him using words that were going to get people angry um, so that they could start thinking or using words that... Uh, so I'm going to actually go into qualities that inspire me because there are a number of people who have these kinds of qualities. He's one of them. Another person who does that for me is um, uh, Streb, Elizabeth Streb. Do you all know who she is? Elizabeth Streb has a, a performance, physical performance company in Williamsburg called Streb. And she has a lab out there. And they do work that is acrobatic. And it's not about uh, dancing to music. It's about, it takes this long for me to fling my body from here to there. And how do I do that? What does it mean for me to do that? And I remember sitting in a room that had seats quite like this, and I had a group of kindergartners and first graders in front of me. I just did this wonderful workshop with them, and she's talking to all of them. And she usually dresses like she's like a circus ringleader. So she has on boots, and she has on a vest, and she walks around and looks at you, and she said, music is the enemy. I'm like, no. <laughs> You're gonna make me start thinking about music being the enemy. Kind of like Grace Jones' slave to the rhythm, right? Being a slave to something that you think this is what you're supposed to do. And then she, her technique is called pop action. So she says music is the enemy at least 10 times to kindergartners and, and first graders, and they're like, yeah! <laughs> then she starts teaching pop action and like I said, they're in seats like this. So they just start throwing their bodies into the air and I'm literally going <laughs> to get them to sit back in their seat. I loved it for the fact that she created a spark, a fire in them that made them want to hurl their bodies. It was not the safest situation for them to hurl their bodies in because there were no mats or anything. 
But then when I think about fire, I think about something I've also heard Michael Wiggins say, saying that teaching artists are kind of like firefighters. We're going into situations that are traumatized, um, that have a lot of pain, that have a lot of dysfunction, and what does it mean for me as a teaching artist to walk into a room knowing these things, and I got 42 minutes to do it in, right? And sometimes that might be the only time that I see someone. So that led me to thinking about how I use time. And um, I learned from an artist named Baraka de Soleil who is um, a disabled dance choreographer. And we are really great friends and we've worked together. And I noticed how, because, and I think this is partially because of his disability, the kind of time it takes him to get into a space Sometimes he can't even go through the front door. He has to go behind somewhere, get in this lift, do this. And so it's taught him how to use time. So teaching artists that understand that even though we have 42 minutes, when you're in a room with people, it doesn't matter how old they are and who they are, you're actually taking the time to be present with them. And that, to me, is firefighting, right? You don't go into a fire and just start throwing water places. You look for where the fire is. You look for where to have this, to make the salve. You look for the places that are sparky and a healthy fire can grow. Uh, I think that's all I have to say about that. Those are the qualities I, I dig and, <laughs> and are inspiring to me. Oh, and speaking of movies, I just want to say this real quick. If you have not seen um, Blood, Light, and Bami, which is a documentary about Grace Jones's life, took 10 years to make, go see that film. Because it's stunning. It's, yeah. it's stunning footage. It's the best concert footage. And I'm a concert documentary junkie. I watch, like, I'll watch The Beatles. I'll watch Van Halen. I don't care who I'm watching. But that footage is stunning. But also what you see in her and what I saw in myself. First of all, Grace Jones inspired me tremendously, being a young black woman who did not fit into heteronormative ideas of what a woman should be. To be able to see a woman be uh, masculine and still be a woman was big time a big deal for me. And what you see in that film is you see a female artist of color who is going through the same things we all go through and how she needs to fight to make her work and the sacrifices and challenges and chances that she takes to do that. So she's actually been an inspiration for me since I saw the film several months ago. Bloodlight and Bami, B-A-M-I. Okay, so I have a few more, uh, two more questions actually. So at the, the, the conference uh, has brought together 30 representatives from 37 different countries ascending or descending, one or the other, coming in <laughs> to New York City, and, which is one of the most diverse uh, cities in the world. However, and you brought this up, uh, you've said this many times, um, and uh, this morning I was actually at a, a breakfast with our new New York City Public Schools Chancellor, Richard Carranza, and he also talked about the fact that our public school system is the most segregated in the country. Um, and uh, the, the, the agenda is equity and excellence, and the Chancellor brought up many specific points about how he is planning on, uh, or he sort of laid out his vision of how he plans on 
addressing the issue of inequity and better integrating students across the city schools. So my question um, is for James, and then anybody else can also chime in, is um, how do you think the arts, uh, you know, there was a point where there was a Q&A and nobody talked about the arts, unfortunately, uh, even though there were artists and, and arts educators in the room. But how do you think that the arts can or should support this idea of um, inequity, addressing inequity, dismantling um, the systems of oppression and um, systemic racism? How, how do I think the arts should support it? Should, could, would. Our, our, I think artists do support this, well, artists do support this system of dismantling oppression. Um, a great example, because you were at the conference today, Soul Science Lab, my brothers from Asante and, and Chen, did Soundtrack 63 at Lincoln Center. Uh, and that was a show that detailed the experience of the black American from the beginning of slavery in the United States to present day, told through visuals and an 18-piece orchestra. Now, people were in that room, some of you were here, and I saw eyes water up, I saw being crossed. I saw people sit uncomfortably. That's what's supposed to happen when you watch art. You're supposed to literally change your perspective. So I'm watching something this way. I'm going to have to change my perspective because this shit pissed me off. Or this shit is really amazing. I'm going to have to change. Oh, I'm like, you're literally, your body, you kinesthetically react to art. And that's a, I'm not answering your question. It's okay. I mean, you are answering. I'm answering. It. You're answering. So yeah, the role of the artist is to instigate. And because you said it, uh, you walk into a classroom, and this is about teaching artists, you have to be present. Artists have the ability to be, to be present wherever they are because we are always in trouble of being sometimes mostly killed. You know, we have to be present. Are you, am I, are you threatening me, right? Art's being taken out of schools. Art's being taken out of society. Art's being, like, Black Lives Matter was art. People yelling Black Lives Matter in the street. What do you see? You see different body movements. You're talking about feeling negative space. Laying on the ground, hands up, you know? That's, that's, that's artistic. That is beauty. The words that these, these brothers and sisters and, and non-binary people are speaking, uh, it, it just it, it, it eradicates what people should be thinking of the everyday norms and how if we're holding up this uh, white supremacy, what I've been thinking about it, or the patriarchy, or colonialist ideas, we're not doing what we should be doing as artists, which is saying, why do we have a nonprofit industrial complex? Right? <laughs> right? Why is there a prison industrial complex? Why do students have to wear uniforms to go to school that look the same mm. as the uniforms that you go to prison with? Mm. Like, that's what we should be asking every day. So when you walk into a classroom, Yes, we're putting out fires, but we also are that fire. We're igniting. We're igniting these young people's eyes to like, yeah, we should change shit. Yeah, things are kind of messed up. Yeah, oh, I never thought about that this way. Oh, wow. So I, I rambled on, but that's what I... I You're not rambling. You're I, in it. People are art. in it. Yeah. yeah. I love art, yo. But I think, I think um, you know, we, uh, those of us who have had the privilege of, of wearing lots of hats and playing lots of different roles in the field of arts education or, or the arts. Um, I feel very strongly that, you know, I, we have a responsibility to dismantle from the inside. So there's a, a role for agitation and instigation and change making from external forces, 
but if we don't knock down, you know, the white marble um, steps that not everybody gets to walk up, then we are um, not part of a system of change. And part of our job and what I felt very strongly about, I guess for my whole career, it's my sit down with Courtney that helped me sort of articulate it. We, it took us two sessions to get to a podcast, um, two marathon sessions, poor Ben. Um, uh, but anyway, you know, uh, there's, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I, I grew up having the privilege of going to museums that are free. The first time I went to a museum up here that you had to pay for, I had the outrage that only, you know, a 15-year-old on a field trip can have. I, I had no idea that most people had to pay to go to museums. And the Smithsonian's, for me, were my backyard. And, I, you know, I think something happened to me in that experience. And I got to do that. And there are kids who look, also grew up in D.C. who didn't get to do that. And that is wrong. And I think somehow I've been trying to undo that wrong for decades, you know, and we have to, I, I've also studied in DC at Living Stage, and anybody who, which sadly doesn't exist anymore, but um, the founder of that, Robert Alexander, um, had a t-shirt uh, with a Brecht quote on it about that quote, famous quote about how art is not a mirror, it's a hammer. And so something about that early experience, um, also they fuse together and that is our job. Whether you're working from the inside or the outside, you've got to take apart, you either are knocking on the door and breaking through or you're opening the door. And, and um, you know, I, this is sort of pat and cheesy, but you know, these are my people and we don't look the same. And that whole group of 55 or 60 teaching artists that are now part of the New Victory uh, community, they don't all look like each other. And that, it's, you know, one of the greatest um, uh, senses of pride that I have, that there's this ecosystem now of former TAs and administrators who are out there op breaking down or opening doors. And that, I think, I mean, I just feel like that's a, I mean, who are we if we're not doing that? I don't want to know. So we're, we're one, I want to keep talking. But you guys all have to go someplace. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to ask uh, one last question, and anybody can answer this. Um, you know, I love that image of knocking down doors and opening them, um, one or the other, or, or somehow creating new doors, right? Um, so, so this podcast was created uh, to, to do exactly this, I have interviews, one-on-one -on -one conversations, discussions, and panels now. Um, and I, I, want, I want this podcast to be an instigator of some sort, an agitator. So I'm asking your opinion. What can this podcast, you or other entities could or networks could we do to be instigators, uh, agitators, or inspire others to action in order to affect change in terms of uh, supporting teaching artists or uh, the arts work that we do? Can I start? Absolutely. So um, I one, one of the many things I think is um, a podcast, I think listening to people's stories makes, makes it relatable a little bit because everyone's story is different. Um, and I'm sure every podcast you listen to is different. 
particularly after a couple of glasses of wine. <laughs> um, but I know that I, you know, my parents are immigrants. I'm pretty sure when I was born they did not say, God, I hope she's a teaching artist. Um, they're very supportive, and I had a lot of privilege growing up, but it was, I don't think they still know what I do. Um, but one thing was hearing as I kind of, you know, when I transitioned into arts education, I worked in television because I wasn't, I wasn't really supported to major in theater or the arts. Um, it was something fun to do. Um, but that's because nobody in my circles and my family knew this, knew what this was. And so I think when I transitioned, one thing that was really helpful to me was to hear people's stories. And actually, it was advice that Evie gave me. <laughs> when I was like, I don't know what to do with myself next. And she said, just go talk to people. And that's what I did. And I didn't want anything from them. I just wanted to hear their stories. And people in the arts like to talk about themselves. So <laughs> it was really helpful because I realized that we kind of create our own paths. It, it helped give me a voice. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Um, and I hope that, you know, I'm very, sometimes I think, too honest with my students, emerging practitioners in the field, but I hope that sometimes sharing the fact that, you know, I experienced this, and, and this maybe wasn't the right choice, but this is what came out of it, I think people can learn from that, and I think it makes you less afraid to take a chance um, and take risks. I think, you know, one of the things Penny said, was that uh, you know this kind of work is about helping students see how to have a creative life, live a creative life, and part of the role I think of this podcast can be exactly those stories and how do you put together a life um, where you do some some teaching and some making and the um, you know the artist in you is in, is fueled by the teaching that you do and the teaching is fueled by the art that you make and the people that you make and the people you collaborate with. And everybody, the beautiful thing about this community is that everybody finds different ways to put that patchwork quilt together. And um, it's exciting um, and inspiring and validating to, to hear how, how people make their quilt. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a trajectory with an endpoint, and the th again, the thing about the podcast is that you can. Um, it it helps uh, me uh, to think about that. Life, my life and my career doesn't have a finish line. It 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 goes. I don't know what shape it is, but it's not that. Mm -hmm. It's nonlinear. Mm -hmm. And um, so I, I want to be part of that. And I want to know what people are think, thought about then and what they're, you know, where they want to put their focus or what they mm -hmm. feel their, their purpose in this moment and this year mm -hmm. and this time is. I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I think, and those threads um, are important for all of us, I think, to, uh, you know, to kind of have our ear to the ground about. Can I, and, I, and I think I agree with that, and I think it's really important for people to hear that instigating can sometimes be a small step in a classroom. Yes. Um, I once got a group of fourth graders to get their vending machines back because they were very angry. They were being forced to eat healthy snacks. <laughs> um, but they, they instigated that because 
we open the path to, to give them a voice. Mm. So, I, you know, just to re remember, like when I started kind of getting interested in social justice, I always thought it was such a big thing. And like, how do I fit into that? It's like, I have so much on my plate. How do I contribute to that? And, you know, recognizing and being validated that my contribution can be in the classroom or it can be on a national or a global level. Um, it's different for different artists, just like art making is different for different artists. I wanted to just add to that um, this idea, I have a teacher who always says to me, truth is the intelligence of love. And what she means by that is the, the more you can sit in your truth and exist in that truth, that's actually what the world needs from you most of all is that we need to be present in who we are because in that way we, we, we become a beacon for other people. So something like you know fourth graders wanting to fight for their vending machine. Um, I was recently asked to talk about safe space and I was like, I am gonna curse. Fuck safe space. I'm talking about liberated space. I'm talking about the kind of space that lets me know even if I'm sitting to some, next to someone who is a different ethnicity, age, or um, identifies differently in terms of what their body is than me, that I know that I can be who I am clearly and fully and they can be who they are clearly and fully in a room. So we're not sanitized. And then that gives us the opportunity to do that, fight for the vending machine, uh, find the language, find the space. And I feel that story is a big instigator of liberated space. Give, give it up for, for everything that's been said already. <laughs> My MC over here. Yeah. Hype man. No, I'm not gonna bring it home. I just wanna, <laughs> I, I just wanna say how much I love stories. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and it's so great to hear other people's stories. And I think what's, what artists are able to do hopefully more than other people that are not artists, is to listen to other people's stories with love. And I think that is key. No matter how much you may disagree with someone uh, or they may be different from you, we can't go into that, that conversation and to listening to them with a feeling of like, fuck this dude, fuck this person. It's gotta be, which, and that is radical to say, you may hate me because of my skin color or my gender or my sexual orientation, but I love you. And to say that to someone freaks them out, first of all, because I've said it to people. No, I, I love you. It's cool. You know? <laughs> not, not in a, I'm not going to hit on you, but I love you because you're a human. And you have 26 chromosomes. Not scientists. Something like that. Something. You know what? I, I'm a teaching artist, man. <laughs> I ain't no scientist, yo. <laughs> but love, yo. I, like, I love everyone on this panel, and I, I, I genuinely love them. And I also, <laughs> Edie was talking about it, we were talking about it earlier. I went to dinner with Betsy, Betsy DeVos, and I was sitting at a table with police officers, and they were talking about how little black kids cause so much trouble in this area in Kent, Washington, right? And they were saying this to me, <laughs> sitting at this table. I was like, you know, black kids do a lot of trouble. And I was like, you know I'm here, right? <laughs> I, I can't hear you. 
And I was like, calm down, James. Tell me more. Why do you think that? And uh, yeah. Y'all, I'll be 100. That shit was mad hard. I would have been on the 5 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 10 o'clock. <laughs> Yo, this motherfucker's still doing damage. <laughs> but that was the hardest thing I've ever done, is to say, why do you say that? Tell me more. And for that person to just say, well, because of this, because of this. And I said, well, I said, what about your life? Was it all roses? Well, I had troubles. How do you get out of those troubles? Add support. So what if those young people don't have support? Is it their fault? Are you blaming the community? Because <laughs> they're, they're tasked to work six jobs to, to make a living in Seattle because the cost of living is that high? So who are, who's to blame? Is it the young people who are the victims of oppression or people that are oppressing them systemically? I'm not even talking about the police at this point. I'm just talking about systemic oppression. What's to blame? They still said black kids, but I was, <laughs> but at least they, under, they, they listened. I hope, I hope they listened. And if they didn't, I still love them. That shit's hard. Okay, so what I, think I, what I think I heard was, or what I'm pulling out from the whole conversation in this last bit is stories have value. Um, I've talked about that on the podcast. Um, and if you haven't listened to each of these people and their stories uh, through the podcast, please follow us, um, to download um, and subscribe on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, um, SoundCloud, et cetera. But uh, these, are, these, are, these are my peeps um, and much more, uh, more people like that are who you're going to hear. Um, but I'm hearing, yes, yeah, stories. Um, I'm hearing uh, radical listening listening with love, loving, uh, no matter what. Um, and I love that idea of liberated space, too. So, I, you know, I, I feel like there are, especially the people who are um, attending the conference, uh, we're getting a lot of different nuggets of, of oh, you know, uh, of learning, of being inspired. I'm hoping that this was a part of uh, the inspiration that you've experienced over the course of the, the conference. I know I've been inspired by each of these people on stage. I know that I've had lots of conversations with each, uh, many of you in the audience, and um, I hope that the conversation continues because, as, as uh, Edie did say, like, this, there is no linear space. I mean, it's not linear. It is that the conversation continues, and it will continue, and that we have to be engaged, empowered to um, uh, enact change and, and, and impact, in, in, in fact, empower others um, through our artistic endeavors. So I want to thank you all for being here. I want to thank these panelists. Can we give them one, a round of applause? Uh, Thank you so, so much. I, I've been dreaming of doing a roundtable <laughs> discussion for a while since this started. So uh, thanks for being a part of the first one. Thank you for being on the podcast. So if you listen to this, which will come out at some point soon, uh, you'll be able to hear yourselves too. Uh, <laughs> say something. So, say, say it all. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, and thank you again to the Roundtable, the International Teaching Artists uh, Conference, as and Mark Morris Dance Group for hosting. Thank you all thank so you, much. Thank you, Courtney J. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you, Courtney. Thank you for listening to Episode 11, Act 1 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. 
Teaching Artistry Live, Urgency and Love. Join us next time for Act 2, Arts and Education Week and Global Conversations. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. And now on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, and subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life.